My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Slow Departure. The Sound Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Separation. The Deception. The Suspicion. Resistance. The Extreme Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Beginning. Visitor. Ted, do you want to give us the 60-second summary of what happened in this book? So this is the second book, and uh, the Animorphs have to try and figure out what's going on with the Yurks. What can they do to win this war? They can't get back into the Yurk pool the way they did in the first book because the entrance in the school has closed. So they decide to follow one of the only leads that they have, which is Assistant Principal Chapman uh, is a prominent controller. So Rachel happens to be friends with Chapman's daughter, Melissa. Now, they were pretty close friends, but now Melissa's been kind of distant. Rachel doesn't really know what's going on with her there, but she knows Melissa has a cat. So Rachel manages to acquire the cat and sneaks into the Chapman's basement, where she sees Chapman communicating with a holographic projection of Visser 3. And she's learning some important information, but then Visser 3 notices her in Morph and suspects that she's an Andalite, and she barely escapes with her life. Now, while this was going on, Rachel figured out why Melissa had been acting so distant. It's because her parents are both controllers now and don't show their love for her anymore, and this really makes Rachel angry, so angry that she decides to come up with this reckless plan to get back into the basement. So she doesn't tell the other Animorphs that she almost got caught last time, and this time, of course, she is captured and taken to the construction site where Chapman is going to turn her over to Visser 3. Luckily, the other Animorphs suspected something was going on, and Jake followed along with her while she was in Catmorph in Flea Morph, and he and the other Animorphs cause a distraction, which allows them to escape to fight another day. And right now, Gray is showing me the new cover, which is terrifying. There's a hologram what of Rachel. What do you mean new cover? There's only one cover <laughs> for each Animorphs book. That's what I would like to think, Ted. But alas, apparently they re-released the books recently. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Last five years or something. And they have these new covers where it's a picture of the kid, and like you tilt it, and it's a hologram, so it turns into a cat. And you tilt it back, and I don't know. I think we should talk about that. <laughs> because these books were re-released in 2011. The local library only had as the first six or seven of them rather than the whole series. Mm. And they, but they didn't make it past, you know, seven or eight with the re-release. Maybe that's, no, that's is that true. true. That's so sad. Yeah. Maybe it's because the covers are horrible. I gotta say, I actually think they're less creepy than the other ones. Because I might just have nostalgia. You still yeah. get the <laughs> you, you still get the in between, but because you can move through the different phases the face where she's got cat eyes and a little bit of fur is way less creepy than in the old cover. I think I just wasn't as creeped out by the original covers. And I have a strong aversion to these just because they're different, and that's, you know, that's just my there's thing. Just, there's something so psychedelic about the original covers. It doesn't really fit with what the books are about at all. Yeah. It's also missing that thing where you can open the morph and it has the cut through to the full color oh, image behind yeah. it, which was always cool. That is true, and I'm excited to go back to those covers still insisting that these are less creepy <laughs> than the Wait, old ones. Wait, Ted, are you saying these are psychedelic in a way that doesn't fit, or the old ones are? The old ones are. Oh, interesting. I feel like these are more... Actually, this one is probably better. The one... Yeah, Lizard Boy. That's the lizard boy, the lizard boy was not great. Really the bad. most horrifying thing I've yeah, ever seen. The Lizard was not great. I guess the cat and Rachel are okay. 
I also think that in the new cover, they did a better job of matching the description of the cat. 100%. Oh, that's, that's really true. true. I feel like the people who made the covers really didn't have a good sense of what was going on in the books. Yes. One other design element that I wanted to bring up is in the old ones, the font was normal. In the new ones, they've used this weird sans serif font. No, that's the norm. Is this the norm? That's, that's very the, close to I the font. I don't like it. I think this is a little bit different, but I think it is a sans serif font. Okay, because the PDFs have a serif font. Oh, yeah, the PDFs, I think, are just like yes. default Kindle or whatever. This is not a great font, you guys. And yet, I have so much nostalgia for it. It's <laughs> I'm thinking about I've never actually thought about the font, but it's one of those things where I look at it and I'm yeah. like, this is an Animorphs book. Yes, exactly. I could see one, that. I think it's a hair different. I think they tried to imitate the font and didn't have the original font. Sure, that seems reasonable. Between 96 and 2011, a lot changed in computer fonts, but yeah. also, I really don't like it. <laughs> it's so interesting because I can see why they used this kind of open sans serif font. It makes sense for a middle grade book but it is so hard to read. I don't find it hard to read, but I do think it influenced my impression of the language, like the language being more childish because the font is this sort of open, I don't know if childish is the right word. No, it's just, it's an easy sans serif. I don't know exactly which one it is, but it's a weird thing to read a book entirely in this kind of font. It tends to be something that's used for, you know, emphasis or other- Headers or- Yeah, that kind of thing. Like, it's just weird. So Gray, what did you think of this book? I liked it. I didn't like it as much as I loved the first one. Tell us more. I think part of it is Rachel's perspective is less, she's sort of less big picture focused than Jake is. Ooh, Jake has this sense of each person, and I think this is part of the five-man band, right? Mm -hmm. He's kind of focused on what is each person doing, what are we doing as a group, what are the Yerks doing? He's got this really interesting perspective, and Rachel's much more in her own head and a little bit more selfish in that way, and I just didn't enjoy it as much. I also think that maybe they haven't quite hit the stride of how these things work because the pacing in this book was, I thought, a little awkward. Mm, Yeah. There were these wide patches of five minutes of time have passed, but it's been four chapters, and then (laughs) suddenly it's like four days later. Stuff probably happened in those four days. It was just sort of an interesting... Yeah, it's not as relentless as the first one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is easier to do, I think, the book where everything starts (laughs) and where it's obvious what should happen, and then you have this next one. And you can actually see the kids doing this, too. They're like, okay, so we're fighting these aliens. What do we do to fight them? And they're flailing a little bit. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's an interesting way that Rachel's perspective kind of helps because she's very much the, like, okay, let us go do a thing, Mm, right? She's she's very action-oriented. Very action-oriented. So it makes sense that she's the next one, right? Because now they have to figure out, like you say, what to do next. That's a very good point. I hadn't thought about It's interesting. I was thinking about this thing where so many of the books, the kids start the book by looking for a way to hurt the Yerks. And in classic novel structure that like you get taught, especially for middle grade young adult stuff, there's some sort of inciting incident and then the protagonist is often reactive for a while. Mm. And then at least one way to structure a novel that I've heard people talk about is the midpoint is where the protagonist turns from being reactive to proactive Mm. and starts going after stuff and be like, we're gonna fix this, we're gonna change it, and no longer just trying to like flail in response to extreme events. And this because it's a series, or maybe just because it's short, because it's what they chose, because the Yerks don't know who these kids are and they aren't directly going after them. In this book, you see an example of like, there's no inciting incident, nothing happens to them. They're just like, right. we need to figure out a way to do this. I want to talk about this. This is one of the things that I noticed about this book and really liked. Yeah. Like, I agree that the pacing is weird, but the way it sets it up with like, sort of this being an anamorph is awesome mm. bit where they're all birds, <laughs> right? And then 
they end up walking home past the construction site. And sort of over those first couple of chapters, you have the slow build of like, oh, they're all birds and it's great, but then Tobias can never change back. Right? Yeah, and Which they is, keep dropping hints. And that's that's the way the last book ends. He's kind of like the soul of the Animorphs at this point, right? He's the one who can like see most clearly. Mm-hmm. We have to hold out until yeah. the Andalites come back. And that's how the book ends again, right? Mm-hmm. So he's kind of this like through line. And the yeah. inciting incident is that they walk back past the construction site and Rachel sees Tobias kind of like fly down there and she gets really really angry mm. and that's when she's like it's like we have to we do need something. we need to do something yeah. we're gonna take down these yurks and i really like that it's very rachel mm-hmm. it sort of shows a little bit how she feels about tobias and how she's like defensive and there's this like righteousness that this is unfair and she has to do something about it yeah i like actually that probably sounded like criticism when i was talking about the structure but i like that they get agency as protagonists right from the beginning and i think it's probably more of a challenge for the authors because they have to give them something to do it's definitely more of a challenge for the kids because they're like there are these years around what do we do we have to fight them right. right but it's not just the inciting incident wasn't jake being like well we can't go back to the york pool because they closed the door right mm, that's yeah. that's, that's, a, sort of an that's like a plot consequence but the reason yeah. i'm talking about it is because of this the way rachel's feeling yeah which i really liked the inciting incident that I was going to point out, too, was when she sits with Melissa as the cat and recognizes what she's been feeling. So when I use inciting incident, I mean, like, at the beginning of the book, the thing that kicks off the story. But you're totally right. I meant that from that, the, yeah, the reactive to the proactive. For oh, Rachel, like the midpoint. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> midpoint, not inciting incident. Yeah. Well, right. She does have some reluctance about having to use her friend mm-hmm. or her former friend until that point. Which is funny because it's such a mild thing to do. It thinking in the context of like they're fighting a war here but they haven't really realized it yet so she's like oh no I have to be mildly deceitful about why I want to be nice to my friend it's like it's barely even a like end justifies the means thing like it's yeah hardly the kind of thing you could imagine them struggling with later on yeah her relationship with Melissa was something I thought was really interesting because it plays into something we talked about earlier that these books are very centered in what it's like to be 13 Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. where things change and you don't really understand why, whether that's mm. your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your friends, people drift away for the first time, you're not really forced together, and people forge their own paths. And I think that's one of those examples of, okay, here they're forced apart because they're aliens invading her parents' <laughs> brain. That's mm. not what happened to you when you Most were Most of us probably didn't have to okay. do it. But I think there's something to be said for now you have to forge these new relationships. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. And the books deal with that really well. You can still be supportive without forcing Melissa to be your friend, you know? Mm-hmm. And for Melissa, obviously, that's much more difficult because she's forging this relationship with parents who no longer seem to care about her, which, again, these books forcibly hammer oh, home. It was heartbreaking. These, these big issues. I mean, that was just, it was heartbreaking. It did not pull its punches. It did not. And she has to navigate that. And obviously she's not a main character, so who knows what we'll see of her doing that. But geez, that was rough. I think that was something I found rougher this time than when I originally read them because I think when I originally read them I was so focused on the Animorphs as characters mm. and it was easier this time for me to be like but like how is she going to grow up like what kind of damage is this going to do to her there are so many really well realized details about like how now her parents never 
listen to music or mm -hmm. watch TV. They just like sit around doing nothing or doing very practical things. Mm -hmm. And then the bit where Controller Chapman sees her as an obstacle, but then he doesn't understand like that he has to come up with some kind of excuse until she runs up to him and is like, notice me. And it's like, I, I didn't. There's... But I was crying. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it really is. And the, the trauma of that, it hits your heart. Mm -hmm. This poor girl, she's 13 years old. Her parents are different. I mean, that must be so awful. And, right. and Rachel goes to like, oh, well, she must be controlled. Like, she's like really worried. She's paranoid. Yeah. And it's a lot simpler and worse. Mm -hmm. and really it worse. makes you wonder about the humanity of the Yerks, which is a dumb statement. But like the extent to which Yerks can feel emotions. Because here's this Yerk who's in this man's head. And the man has feelings about his daughter. And the Yerk gets that in a practical sense. But like it doesn't seem to have transferred at all. Which is maybe a statement about the Yerks. Maybe just a statement about like aliens and how, you know, they don't have human instincts, which makes sense. But I can imagine a scenario, which would be a totally different book, where the fact that this Yerk is in this guy's head makes him feel at least like some sort of sympathy. Like even if he didn't want to, like that's the Stockholm Syndrome thing kind of in reverse, but where you do sort of bond with the people near you, but the Yerks don't seem to have any human bonding abilities. Though allowing Chapman some control at the end of the book is a pretty extraordinary step. Well, that's true. To yeah. take. Even when Innes, whatever number, is talking to... To something. Yeah. Is talking to the Mrs. Chapman controller. You mm -hmm. don't get any of that. They aren't talking about feelings. Yeah. Right? Actually, that might be like a Yerk cultural thing, or at least Yerk's fighting the war cultural thing, where like, he would never want to admit that he sympathized with any of his host's feelings mm -hmm. to another Yerk. That was actually a question I had, because there were one or two moments in this that did feel like the Yerk was sympathizing with Chapman more than I expected. Mm. For example, there's a point when Chapman's talking to Visser 3 and talking about what is this? It is a cat. Why is it in here? It belongs to the girl, my dot dot dot, the host's daughter. Oh. And I was like, That's okay, so catch. are yeah. you Good call. becoming sympathetic with Chapman? And then at the end, I thought that kind of came back where he said, listen, just talk to the host. He'll tell you kind of how he feels. And I thought that was really interesting and wondered if there was more later on of certain yerks being as influenced by their hosts as the hosts are influenced by them. But sounds like maybe not. Well, well, I mean, oh, I'm going to retract my statement about this book because you make a really good point. I think that he is feeling more than... I mean, there's an obvious parallel to the way the Animorphs are dealing with the animal minds they're working with, right? There's obviously some connection that they're trying to get at there. It's a really good point. Oh, yeah. Rachel struggles so much with the shrew and with the cat in a very different way in this book. I also think Innis, to whatever, is irrationally protecting Melissa. It came across to me as we're rationalizing why we're not going to enslave the girl. And and certainly a lot of that is like, well, it's just going to be more annoying. I don't want to have to be so disciplined about controlling Chapman. But I, it does kind of seem like yeah. he was looking for any excuse. I was yeah. thinking of it more from the perspective of like, the book cannot allow Melissa to be taken. But you're right that it is completely valid to say that Chapman's Yerk didn't want Melissa to be taken and was rationalizing it. But you know. Yeah. And I don't know if you, were you expecting controllers to be able to fight back to the extent that they do? No. Because it's really striking when like yeah. Mrs. Chapman slaps she, herself in the face. She's choking herself. Yeah. I mean, that is, especially for Mrs. Chapman, because you find out later that she was a willing yeah. host, yeah. as Chapman was not. Though, human Chapman does not come across very well in that description of his wife. Oh yeah, what a weak she was woman. weak. <laughs> Strengths, I don't blame her. Strengths that I didn't know she had. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, right. Although that scene did make him more sympathetic as a character. I had been thinking of him very much as the sort of stereotypical principal from that age. Like, mm -hmm. 
very cruel, very unsympathetic, and it turns out that maybe he was, but also he has these sort of deep human emotions that he's desperately fighting for. Then there was also the sexism, so uh, right. we'll come back to that. But yeah, well, hey, we a surprisingly three-dimensional yeah. Exactly, exactly. So I was surprised that she fought back so much, although I guess there's probably, as we saw, a difference between willingly taking this on and then dealing with the consequences of that. Right. Yeah. Willingly becoming a host and then realizing that it means you also have to feed your daughter to the aliens might change you. Yeah, it does really make you wonder about the humans we saw in the first book who were hanging out at the Yerk pool, like while their Yerks were getting fed and like just, you know, chilling, watching TV and listening to other humans scream about how they didn't want to be enslaved and they didn't care. Isn't it nice to know there are sociopaths in the world? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's very reassuring. Another big issue that came up in this book was the attempted kidnapping slash possible rape. That was weird. Oh, yeah. Why did that happen? I had kind of forgotten that happened. I think partly because, I mean, one of the things I love about these books is that these kids have secret superpowers and she's able to get out of it relatively easily. Sure. Which is very satisfying and empowering. But also, can we talk about how the other animals react to that? Yeah. Yes, please. Please let us talk about it. They're all like, you shouldn't have done that. That was super dangerous. And none of them mention, but it would also have been dangerous not to do it. Right. Yes. Very much, yes. Well, that's sort of like, you know, it's not the default situation, right? Mm-hmm. It's not something that would have happened to Jake or Marco in yeah. the slightest, mm-hmm. right? So the reaction isn't surprising for that reason, but no, it is No, I'm sure, yeah, they're 13-year-old boys. They probably haven't really thought through it. Yeah. That was an odd moment. There's a couple of, just sort of speaking of the sort of teenage boy things, there are a couple of moments that are just so incredibly sexist. Oh, and Marco. Marco. And I thought it was really interesting that they called that out a little bit at the beginning, almost as an excuse for that behavior to continue. Mm. Right? So one of the first times that happens is Marco's talking about flying and how great it is. The flying part is great, but it's not a good idea oh, to be able to see that well. Why, Jake asked. Look, Jake, how many times have you been walking around the mall or whatever and you see a girl who seems good looking from far off? When you get closer, it turns out she's a dog. I mean, if you could see this well all the time. And of course, Rachel interrupts and says, I'm sure I didn't hear you I say that. I, I think they said. updated that. It says, okay, so she's then, a dog? Is that yeah, what it says? When, I think it's she's a skank in the <gasps> original version. Interesting. Oh, I have up. questions. Okay, good. Because <laughs> but that's an interesting lateral move, I think. That's not better of all the ways to update this. We'll keep saying anyway, uh, okay, I mean, if you could see this well all the time, <clears throat> excuse me, I interrupted. I'm sure I didn't hear you say what I thought you just said. I wasn't being sexist, Marco protested. It goes both ways. See, from far off, I look taller than I am. Marco is a little <laughs> self-conscious about being short. He's long brown hair and a dark complexion, and most girls think he's really cute, but being small bothers him. Yeah, it is skank in the original. What? Yeah. I feel like dog is really not better. I don't know why they thought it would be. Not better. Oh, man. Let's talk about Rachel and Marco, because they definitely are, like, butting heads over this. Actually, first, where does it continue, like, the stuff that Marco's doing later? So then there's just the reaction to her almost being kidnapped, and then there are quite a few times where Marco, and Jake to a lesser extent, but Marco in particular. He's, like, saying, like, oh, you're prettier than you've ever been when she's the Yeah, like, his major reaction. Right, and then... He makes the joke and nobody laughs because, one, it's a bad joke, but also it's not the right time. And there's that whole thing about her being a shrew. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Like, you yep. don't even have to morph because you're always a shrew. Okay, first of all, not a word 13-year-olds have in their vocabulary. <laughs> and also, 
Marco, be better. Yeah, I feel like this is a sort of a character type that often comes up in middle grade and young adult, which like I have written and then later been like, why did I feel like I needed to include that kind of person? He's not exactly girl crazy, but the guy who's sort of sexist and a jerk about girls. Yeah. I, I'm hopeful that throughout the series this will be a point of learning and growth for Marco. That mm-hmm. later on he will recognize the error of his ways and become a better human being. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, rereading it, I feel like Rachel is doing a lot of work to defend him already. Like almost every time it happens, there's some kind of like follow-up that's like, oh, I know he just said something really sexist, but it's not really that bad. Yeah. Was there? Right. I didn't feel like there was with the skank thing. No, because well, she's, she talks about, like, the immediate reaction is, oh, well, he's not such a And he just likes provoking people, you know, a couple pages later. Marco lives to annoy people. Mm. He really is extremely smart and basically nice yeah, underneath it all. It's, it's just that the boy loves to provoke people. And then it comes up again, you know, yeah. like, his family situation is tough. You know, yeah. Rachel makes sure to remind us of that at some point. Mm-hmm. She I defends mean, him a lot, which... There's a Marco book, at least, in your future, so... I appreciated that she called out the behavior, though. Which is also very Rachel. Like, she needed something like that to react to, I think. Ooh, yeah. Mm. Well, we were talking before about how there is racial diversity among the characters, but I don't think, though I might be wrong, racism ever really comes up. And this is a case where sexism does come up in a way that's probably pretty realistic. Mm -hmm. And it is an interesting question of, like, would it have been better to leave that out and ignore that, or is it better to put it in and call it out? Interesting. I feel like that is a valid option to, Mm -hmm. like, include realistic sexism in your 13-year-old characters, and then they don't always call it out in the way that they should, but the idea behind that. That's an interesting point. I think there's a certain relationship here that is really interesting because the two of them, in that same chapter, she talks about how Kathy is the peacemaker. If there's ever a hassle within the group, it's usually me and Marco who caused it and Cassie who got us all calmed down. And I think that's a part goes back to that five-man band mm-hmm. thing we talked about last time where Rachel is the sort of strong, confident one. She's the warrior. And Marco is the lieutenant who is sarcastic and kind of mean sometimes, even if he doesn't necessarily mean to me mean. Yeah. And then, you know, Cassie's the peacemaker at the heart of the group. I just think it was a really interesting insight into them. And Marco comes into his own in this book in a way he didn't in the first one. Yeah, I was thinking as I read it actually how important Marco is. Not the sexism. I could live without the sexism. But his, you know, smart comments and jokes and stuff really lighten the mood in very important ways. Mm -hmm. And also, like, highlight the weirdness of the situation in a way that I think is really helpful. Like, I think it would have been very hard to write these books without a character like that. Right. Yeah, he's also the, like, especially in that first conversation where he's, I mean, he's obsessed with Letterman for some reason. But... (laughs) The, that conversation where he's like, oh, this would be so awesome if yeah. not for the aliens, right? Which is an important thing to remind us I thought of. it was funny he when he was like, we could do other things. And Jake was like, well, like fight crime. And I was like, that was Gray's theory about how they would use the powers. And they also, by the way, referenced X-Men. Mm, I was mm-hmm. like, that's what I thought. Also, Rachel compares Melissa to a Tolkien elf she does. in 1996. Very proud of this girl. Yes. Well done. Add a girl. I Very don't surprising. think... I had any idea what that was when I read these books for the first time. I didn't read Lord of the Rings till high school. And this is pre-movies, so yeah. she didn't have a Legolas to compare no. her to. I but now that. we can imagine Melissa looking like a tiny Legolas. <laughs> oh, 
Right. <laughs> I would like to bring up one more yikes moment. Please do. Besides the sexism, there is a piece right at the beginning when they're morphing from the birds back into humans that was super ableist in a way that made me really uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is Jake turning back from a bird into a human. He says, now being back in a human body, I feel like I'm handicapped or something. I feel like I'm glued to the ground. And blind Cassie agreed, human eyes are so lame for seeing things far away. I was like, ooh, that's three in a row, guys. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. That yeah. was a little icky for me. And I, I get what they're saying. Yeah, I thought but it, was it was a like, really interesting idea to express, but they probably could have maybe think about chosen that. different language to maybe. express that in. Yeah. Disability and Kidlet would not enjoy that. No. Race, which is no. a very good blog and everyone should read it. Going back to Marco and Rachel, they're definitely, like, their relationship is, like, sort of already here in this book. Like, we were saying last time how much the characters are, really already have their personalities from the very beginning, and Rachel and Marco already have their dynamic. Like, they're sort of flirting, but not in a really flirtatious way. But, like, the banter is, there's some tension there of multiple mm. varieties. Right. It actually is almost like they've seen it on TV, and they're, fil- <laughs> it's almost like they're role-playing a little bit. Like, it's a little yeah. bit of this, like, oh, he's going to say something sexist, and I'm going to call him out on it Mm. it's like it fits that it seems like that's how they're writing it but also within the story i think they're kind of yeah if we want to give the writers credit for right yeah Mm. that was particularly interesting given the dynamic between rachel and tobias Mm -hmm. because she and marco have this very contentious relationship and she and tobias have this intense bond that seems just so sweet and incredibly encouraging and I love Tobias. Mm-hmm. I just adore him unreservedly. Yeah. And his reaction to Rachel being in trouble, he's so completely supportive. He understands her in a way that no one else in the book really does. Yeah. And I am continually heartbroken that he is a bird. Yeah, I realize, like, reading it now, I am noticing so many more things where, like, their bond is there so early. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you're right. It's a really nice relationship. Mm-hmm. In stark contrast to Rachel and Marco, where it's like, oh, he just likes to provoke people, and we all know people like that. And Tobias is concerned but supportive and yeah mm-hmm. I hit the line where she described his eyes as hurt and tender and hopeful and I was like I still like have that line memorized that line like, <laughs> meant something to me at the Aww. time that's amazing yeah and I think it works really well with the sort of plot of the book too because mm-hmm. when she's doing her basement investigation right by virtue of his role in the group he's kind of like the eyes in the sky he's the only one who has a chance of like communicating with her mm-hmm. but it's also it's private communication so it gets a little more personal Right. So the thought speech is really useful for that. Yeah. Yes. And the fact that they can direct thought speech, mm-hmm. which I don't remember from book one. I'm sure it happened. I just it wasn't was really paying attention. It was sort of there attention. where the Andalite was like, just don't think at Visser 3. Visser oh, right. 3 just shouts to everyone, but you and, can not think at him. And the Andalite does do that sort of info yeah, job to Yeah, he's talking just to them. But it, it happened several times in here where Tobias was just speaking to Rachel or Cassie. I don't mm-hmm. remember it happening with either of the boys, but I thought that was a great way to do it, too, that he's so involved in the group. He has private communication with them that they don't have with each other when they're in human form. So sweet. There's a piece where he tells her to be careful. He says, be careful, Rachel. I'll be watching, but be careful. I don't want anything to happen to you. He Aww. said it so only I could hear. I could tell because no one else reacted. I looked up at Tobias and winked. I knew he would see it. And I thought that was so adorable. Yeah. I love them. Speaking of Tobias, though, I did feel like it was a little bit jarring to me. I mean, not too much because I've read these before, but like to have this, he turned into a bird and got stuck in the last book. And this book references it, but it seems like it's just kind of cool. Like, 
There's some references towards it not being, but it's funny how little this book grapples with it. Mm. It is interesting. I think it is It is weird that they don't go into it. And they go into it a lot more in the next book. Because yeah, it's, they do. Because it's the first Tobias book. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> but there are a couple things, like when they talk about eating roadkill, or oh, yeah, he says yeah. it's like a plump or juicy mouse or something. But then it's. I feel like it gets super awkward because they haven't processed it as a group at all, right? Yeah. Like no one knows mm-hmm. what to say about it. It's interesting that Rachel doesn't think about it more, but it, I kind of buy that, like, yeah, it they're does, just not ready to talk about it. It does make sense that, like, they're still in the shock phase. They just don't know what to do about it. Also, it is, like, Tobias seems pretty okay with it, which is almost... Maybe it would have been better if there had been a kind of thing where someone tries to be more like, oh, how are you doing, how are you doing, how are you doing? And he's like, oh, don't worry about me. Like, that might have been a, you know... And part of it might be, even though Rachel does have this connection with Tobias, like Ray was saying, this is very much from her point of view, and it's very focused on like this thing that is happening with Melissa and the cat. And... Yeah, I think it's it's a really good point, and I was a little bit hoping that they would grapple with that a bit more in Tobias's book, in particular because in the first book we get a sense of his unusual family situation. Mm-hmm. In this one it's completely ignored, but both Jake and Rachel interact with their family very closely. Mm-hmm. Um, Jake in the first book with Tom becoming a controller and in this one we learn more about Rachel's family and how she felt when her parents got divorced and her relationship with her sister and I'm just intrigued to see how they're going to deal with that with Tobias. Right. Yeah. I had another thing that I wanted to say which was that so K.A. Applegate definitely a cat person. <laughs> so is Visser 3. Oh Visser 3 loved the cat. So did Rachel. <laughs> It was so good. The part where she morphs into the cat and talks about how it feels to be a cat. Like, that is amazing. There was so much to be like, oh, yeah, they did write this series to, like, get people into animals' heads because there were so many interesting insights about being inside a cat's head. Yes, I loved it. And the difference between a tomcat and, you know, has he been spayed, all of that stuff. This is amazing. Yeah. Kay Applegate loves cats. Yeah. Dogs she likes, yeah. but she was very much, when they morphed into dogs, she was like, and they're just happy all the time. Dogs are a thing. <laughs> and this one, she's like, no, you've got the claws and the confidence. They slide out right. from the pink paws. And I love how, like, the animals are always helping them, right? Like, the dog in the mm-hmm. first book, it's like, he's dealing with all this mm-hmm. trauma, and he, he's able to feel a little happier. Here, it's like... She's going to get caught if she was in any other animal. She would have, you know, like, betrayed herself. But the cat mm-hmm. just doesn't care at all. Yeah. And she's able to kind of, you know... Play things off. Sk- yeah, yeah, right. Skate through it. And especially at the end when the cat is interacting with this or three. And she lets the cat take over and the cat's like, what are you? Are you Are you food? Are you <laughs> <laughs> yes. are? I love It's like, that. I don't have any instinctive prey reaction oh, to you. so yeah. good. You made me very happy. For some reason, one of the things that really stuck in my head from originally reading these books was the thing where the cat meets itself and just has no reaction. It's like, you just smell like me. You don't exist. Right. Very confused. I loved that. There were a couple of really great animal moments in this where, again, going back to Ted, the thing you brought up where she wanted to be able to really get into the head of these animals and show kids what it's like to be a shrew or a cat or an elephant. And I loved the way she did that and the way that you really do get a sense of being these animals and how it interacts with their personalities. Rachel Mm -hmm. is not okay with being a shrew in a way that's visceral, literally visceral, 
whereas the cat matches with her personality. Right. She's good at yeah. And it strengthens the part of her personality that she wants to strengthen mm-hmm. because she does have this bravado and we also see a lot of insecurity and fear that she right. and she's really is defensive. very conscious of. She's so defensive about being vulnerable yeah. as a person mm-hmm. and the cat is kind of the same way. Yeah. It was a great way to, to both give insight into her personality and insight into how these animals work. Mm-hmm. I thought that was so well done and I'm excited to see how that works with the other characters. Like mm-hmm. What animal is Cassie or Marco going to connect with most strongly Mm -hmm. and I wonder in the rest of the series if they're going to be any favorite morphs where Mm. you know Jake turns back into the tiger right to Mm. defend her at the end and is there a sense that that's his go-to animal good question yeah he has happy dreams instead of nightmares (laughs) yes and Rachel now has four animals like inside of her, which yeah, yes. I enjoyed how she was so freaked out by that. Like, what a weird idea to wrap your head around. Yeah. Like, some of these animals eat each other. Cassie asks good questions. I'm excited to read more from Cassie's perspective. At one point, she says, "Okay, Rachel, you have an elephant, a shrew, an eagle, and a cat inside you. That's four morphs. That's more than any of us." She looked thoughtful. We we don't really know very much about this morphing thing still. I wonder if there's a limit to how many morphs you can do. And I was like, yes, good question, Cassie. (laughs) Excellent, well done. And then Marco goes... I guess we'll find out, Marco said darkly, probably at the worst possible time. <laughs> I, okay, Marco is Good problematic, point. but also I love him. <laughs> so what about, what else did you learn about morphing or questions you have about the way it works? Because I thought there was some interesting stuff that they explore. Yes. The thing that stood out to me was the half morphing mm. they get into a little bit here, right? Where yeah. she's able to kind of hulk out as an elephant to scare off that guy. That description right. of like what she looks like is amazing. Yeah. And then she's like, I was going to say, hey, why don't you get out of here and instead she just makes like a trumpet noise i mean as like problematic as that scene was very no i love that i don't know if the scene was problematic i feel like the follow-up was problematic yeah yeah exactly Mm -hmm. that's a good way to say i mean what he was doing was problematic but i loved that they showed that and how she was able to get out of that there's this really great internet thing about how this woman was catcalled on the street and she didn't know how to react to it, so cat she just called. turned around and made a pterodactyl noise. <laughs> <laughs> and the guys like freaked out and drove off, and that is exactly what she does, and I thought it was hilarious. We can all take yeah. a lesson from this. Make an elephant noise. But then at the end, when she needs to escape and not be given away, she morphs until she has fingers. Just her fingers. Right, and then reaches out to unlock the thing just and becomes, impressive. becomes a cat again. Well, it's particularly impressive because she makes a point at the beginning of how they don't have control of yeah. their morphs, right? So Rachel's morph is very different from Cassie's morph. Cassie maybe ends up with like five foot osprey wings That's somehow. so cool. And it seems like she has, Cassie has more control over the way that she morphs. Mm-hmm. And so somehow by the end, Rachel has gotten enough control over the way she morphs to be able to pick which parts of her morph. I feel like she got lucky. Yeah, I think, I th- I think it was lucky. unclear. Yeah. yeah. They got lucky a lot in that scene though the thing where jake was morphing into a human and then into a tiger like behind visitors three's back he has eyes on stalks that can go in all directions also, and never notice that wasn't he in a cat carrier no he jumped out because he was a flea so he could jump off of her okay because i thought he was still in the cat carrier and i spent a good couple oh no i will say no no so this is something that stuck out to me they're inside the blade ship or just outside I think right? inside right the so blade ship. both here and when they go into the andalite ship in the first book 
There's really no description of the interior of the spaceship. <laughs> they don't even try. Like, <laughs> in Elfangor's ship, there's like, oh, he has a photo, right? I think and then, that, like, like here... everything was cream and, like, round-edged. Right, and... right, right. So, again, you just... I think it's, yeah, I was like, it's where fair. is he hiding? It wasn't fair to not say where he was hiding, because they should have yeah. justified that a little bit. But I think, well, maybe they could have described it briefly. I think too much description would have just, like, the scene was so urgent, it would have taken them out of it. The, the other morphing thing that jumps out to me, when Rachel is turning into a cat for the first time, mm-hmm. and she just grows fur, and then yeah. instead of being like, oh, this is weird, you're a furry, people are just like, that's cool, you look cool. <laughs> yeah. It's like a great 90s moment. I don't think they were furries yet, yeah. <laughs> or not that I knew about, you know, I think they weren't. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like that cultural moment hadn't arrived. Like you can do cat food commercials. Right. God, that was very funny. <laughs> and it was like the black fur and then the white fur or like something directional that was cool. Yeah. So I loved the different kinds of morphs. But a question I had was... At one point she says, I'm going to see if I can find it, but that it's the Andalite technology that allows them to capture these different morphs. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about technology as a word there? Because this is not a technology. <laughs> is it it's not? Magic box. It, no, it's not. It's definitely not. If it were a technology-based ability, the person morphing would need to hold the box. No, but the technology the changed <clears throat> the Animorphs. Like, it changed their bodies, so now they have these abilities. They got magic. This is not a tech... <laughs> I, I just think that it's, it's one of those interesting places where the line between science fiction and fantasy is often drawn mm. much more clearly than it really is. Yeah, this is so sufficiently fiction. advanced science yeah, exactly. is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah, Exactly, and I think this toes that line because, yeah, there are spaceships and stuff, but their ability to turn into animals is not driven by a technical... Yeah, and, and there's never like a midichlorians moment, I think, that comes later. They explore the sci-fi of the setting a lot mm. more, but I'm pretty sure we don't get any more details about the how of the yeah. morphing box. One thing I've heard about the difference between science and magic is that magic cares who you are and science doesn't, which mm. is sort of true of this in that, you know, like that. any anyone can touch the box and have their body changed in such a way that they can morph animals, but it's still possible to have a talent at it. So it is still kind of towing that line mm. of, like, it's interacting with Cassie's body then in a way that we don't really understand or explore. Mm. So right. you're right that it's definitely, like, a little hand wavy. Well, but I mean, that's sort of like, it's like biotech in some mm. way, mm. right? Mm-hmm. You can have, like, a, you yeah. can be genetically predisposed to be yeah. good at the technology yeah. in some way. What happened to the box? Where? I don't think we know. The spaceship got blown up, so I think we just assume it and blew it was up in the, the box. spaceship. It was in the spaceship. Okay. So I just had that thought of, hope that's not lying around the construction site somewhere. That's going to make things real interesting. So speaking of things we learn about aliens, I was really intrigued by Mrs. Chapman's line. He used a Venarx, like the Yerk Eater, mm-hmm. on an Innis of the second century. I was like, what does this mean? I know. There's yeah. a lot of, like, Yerk lore that I did not remember. I was no. like, yeah. I, Council of Thirteen, that rang a bell. I was I like, oh, that. yeah, that's a thing. That's yeah. a thing. The Yerks having names and numbers, I do remember. But yeah. the like idea of a, a lower number being better, I think, yeah, is one of these. And Innis, is it like a rank? Or no, like it's a, a family? Because I think pods, it's a name. Right? Yeah. That are because they say at one point one of your pod sisters or something like that. So the Council of Thirteen we learned about in the first book because Visser Three wanted to move up to Visser One's position. So a lower mm-hmm. number seems better in that yes, way. Yeah. 
But then in this one, there are, it's when he talks about the other yerk that he has picked out for the kid, for, mm-hmm. for Melissa. He's picked it out specifically because it's one of your spawn mates, something like that. Yeah, we'll right. learn more about that later, I think. Right, but it is interesting that there's an alien that is a yerk predator yeah, specifically. Yeah, right. to eat yerks out of heads? Mr. 3 is also like a cannibal while he's morphing, which is kind of a really creepy and horrible, very Mr. <laughs> like 3 thing. Like his host body is a cannibal. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed how much he seems to operate on like a fear-based form of leadership. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, very effectively. Like he morphed, he wasn't in the same space as Chapman, <clears throat> but he still morphed the Yerk Eater monster just to scare him. And like morphing is a lot of effort. Like we see, maybe we see more later, but even here where Rachel had like already morphed the shrew and she's like, I'm not at my best. Let's not do the, mm-hmm. the cat. So the Visser just morphs this creature for like two minutes and then morphs back just to scare Chapman. Right. I wondered if they could use this Vanarchs thing. Mm-hmm. Do, does it also affect the host? Or does it just suck out the slug? Because if it just sucks out the slug, you should get a few of those around. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, hard to find, I bet. Sure, but hey, we found a whole pod of your favorite food. Come hang out and eat them. <laughs> I'm just saying, there are other approaches we can take than turning into cats. <laughs> Sometimes true. we can turn into shrews. Not sure. There was one other thing about morphing. Yeah. Rachel wants to morph her haircut, but yeah. can't. But I was thinking, like, what does your haircut have to do with your DNA? So, if you get a haircut, yeah. but, like, if your scars recover, but your hair doesn't go back to some kind of default form, I, I'm a little confused so about where you is, draw the line. So this is here. interesting, and I think... Like, do you lose a tattoo? Like, we do need right? some like, knowledge that we get later for yeah. this, but it does seem like when they morph animals that they touch, it goes purely based on DNA. And when they morph back into themselves, like, they're able to morph outfits. Right. I think it's... Which change. Like, back to the state that they were, which change... No, I'm saying their outfits could be different. Oh, They're not always wearing yeah. the exact same. Yeah, but, like, they morph back into wearing the outfit they were before they morphed. So, like, it's not just a reconstruction based on DNA. Yeah. There's something else going on here. I really liked the clothing thing because it's such a handy way to cover over the fact that otherwise so to they're speak. just... Otherwise, they're just five naked 13-year-olds hanging out. They would not be able to deal with that. Yeah. No one reading this would be able to deal with that when they were 13 or 10 or whatever. Yeah. I remember being super embarrassed when, like, Tobias is naked in Jake's room (laughs) reading that. Yeah, it was a good way to do it. It's true that they turn basically based on DNA, Mm -hmm. but they also get the memories of the animal that they have cued into, right? So she knows Fluffer McKitty, (laughs) best cat name. I can't believe you made it so long into the podcast without saying Fluffer McKitty. (laughs) Fluffer McKitty is such a good cat name. I love it. I'm stealing it. I love it. You can steal it for your (laughs) next cat. It's perfect. But Fluffer McKitty knows the neighborhood cats, and he knows what Chapman smells like. Yeah. that something is weird about Chapman's smell, which I feel like we briefly touched on in the last episode, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. that there is a different smell to a controller, which I do think they should take advantage of. Yeah, Yeah. it seemed more like when the yurt got really afraid he could smell Mm. it, or she could smell it. Yeah, I was wondering if that... Maybe not usually. I feel like either they sort of softly retcon that as the series goes (laughs) along, or it's meant to be ambiguous. Yeah. Because I could be wrong. Maybe in some book they're like trying to sniff out, like literally sniff out other controllers. I do feel like the memory thing is partly they just haven't sifted out exactly what's going on. Mm. 
we'll explore that later, I guess, because it's been a while since I've read the other books. But sometimes they talk about the species memory. Mm. Like there was one mention of like there was no reference in the cat's species memory of this. Yeah, the instincts, yes. which come um, from somewhere. It's not totally clear that she knows. Like I was reading this, and being like, is it just because she can smell that it's an like adult human male and an adult human female and like mm. a kid? Because I thought with the tomcat, it was like she could tell from like the urine that it was a tomcat and kind of big and scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but when she gets in the house, it's like everything smells like me. Everything like mm. these are the two humans who sometimes feed me. Right. But smelling like and yourself might be. But like her relationship with Melissa, right? The yeah. cat. I don't know. I, I, and being afraid of the other cat in the neighborhood. But the relationship with Melissa, I thought, was more Rachel motivated. Yeah, that does seem right. But I liked it. it I liked that sweet. a lot. I liked how this is Rachel's moment of like, yes, I am committed to this fight. And it comes because she sees the damage that is being done to Melissa. And Jake had that in the last book with Tom. Like, my brother has fallen victim to this. I'm committed to this fight. Mm-hmm. Tobias is already committed to this fight. Marco's not there yet. Cassie, I don't know if she'll have a moment like that. Um, well, she gets a we'll little see. one, which I loved. Yeah. I love Cassie so much for this. Well, I think Rachel and Marco are kind of arguing at the beginning. And, then, uh-huh. and Marco's like, why are you even doing this? And Cassie's like, for freedom. Yes, And I then everyone's that. like... Can't say anything to that. <laughs> I actually quoted that in my notes. I was like, but, yes, Cassie is so the heart of but, this group. But that's, it's almost like a little bit, she's not necessarily personally invested. It's kind of like a moral right. reason, but mm-hmm. not. Because I had been thinking going into this book, like, oh, yeah, it's the second book. I feel like it's kind of random that it is the second book. But it is Rachel's commitment moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how clearly we'll get that for the others in, like, the first five books. Yeah. What did you think about Rachel and Cassie in this book otherwise? Their friendship was not discussed as much as I thought it was going to be. I mean, I think partially because Rachel's focused on her friendship with Melissa. But from Jake's perspective, the two of them are best friends. They're always together. They have this bond. Mm -hmm. And in this one, you just really didn't get a sense of that. She spends a lot more time talking with Tobias, for example, than she Mm -hmm. does with Cassie. And when she's talking about Melissa, she says, Melissa was my best friend. I mean, and then Cassie. It was just an odd kind of moment that it didn't feel like the two of them were as tight yeah. as I had kind It's of sort of in. still at the state of an informed relationship. Like, we've been told that it's the case, mm. but we haven't actually seen it. Right. And I wonder if we get more of that in the first Cassie book, or if it takes even longer. Yeah, I actually don't remember I don't remember that about. clearly. Yeah, that jumped out at me. And Rachel mm-hmm. says, like, oh, I am more the head and Cassie's more the heart, or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just looking through my notes. In the subject of... Yeah, sexism. Or sexism that isn't really called out and is just sort of inherent in the book. When Cassie and Jake are having this emotional moment and then Jake pulls away and Rachel says, Cassie didn't mind. She knows how guys are about showing their true feelings. I rolled my eyes so hard. Part of that is like, yeah, we're in the head of a 13-year-old girl. And part of that might be just some unexamined stuff from the authors. (laughs) That's, That's great. I loved that it was the assistant principal who was the controller. It was very, like, back to the future, that whole tradition of, like, mm-hmm. assistant principals are, like, the worst enemy for, like, yeah. a kid in middle no, of high it's school. That's so true. It's it, so true. Saved by the Bell is what I thought of. Oh, I never actually there watched that, whole, but yeah. Yeah, the principal is never the good character. Do you want to talk about Rachel and Jake's relationship? There's an unexamined relationship. They're cousins. They're kind of the same. And we're done. <laughs> They did have, like, that nice conversation on the bus where they're consoling each other about their nightmares. They've been through the safe stuff. So I see a lot more of Jake's personality coming through in this book. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if you got an impression of, like, who he is as a character. Because, like, I could kind of say what what jumped out to me. But it'd be interesting, you know, if he didn't really evolve more than, like, he's the big picture guy. Yeah, I don't know that he evolved for me so much in this book. Right. So I think it's interesting. In the first scene, he's established as, like, a thrill seeker. 
right? He's got the fastest <laughs> bird, and he and Rachel are a little competitive in that way. And there's this kind of like paternalistic thing that he does already as the leader of mm. them, where he says like, "I shouldn't have let you morph the shrew," uh, and then later, you know, he's like, "Oh, like meet me here or whatever," and she's like, "Oh, it'll take me a while to walk there," and he's kind of like, "Well, don't walk." You know, and he's like, I'm giving you, I'm giving you, I know, I like it too. I think it's very Jake, but he's Mm -hmm. like, I'm giving you permission to be a little bit more reckless with your morphing ability, right? Mm -hmm. And then the like twist that one, he has come along with her on the mission. And then two, he didn't actually leave. He's still there. He's definitely making the calls and he thinks that he knows what's right for everyone in the situation. And obviously it's good. Rachel wouldn't have survived if he hadn't been there in this book. But I think that is like a key part of his like leadership dynamic thing that's kind of getting established here. I thought it was interesting that so soon Rachel is kind of, she's wrapped up in what's going on. She's kind of being selfish. She's not talking to everyone. And all of the other Animorphs, including Tobias, kind of like decide that they're going to go around her and not clue her in. I think it's really an interesting dynamic for the group. Yeah, I feel like it's probably a good choice in that she is not telling them things and they're sort of aware of this and they're all still trying to find their footing as a group and and that's really not okay if she's doing that and so they compensate for that. I don't know, they have a lot of tough choices to make. Yeah, it's a great point and I think that coming together as a group makes a lot of sense but also there is that sense of we know what's best for you and Mm -hmm. we're just going to do it and I was a little uncomfortable with that. Now that you bring that up where I was like, well, but yes, she's making bad decisions, but none of you are making great decisions. (laughs) Well, no, they're also all 13 and in this incredibly dangerous situation. And, like, Rachel's making pretty dumb decisions because she cares about her friend. And 13-year-olds aren't good at making decisions. So at least they have each other's back, I guess. Right. I think also whoever's the narrator of the book Mm. is going to be the one who screws up because that's more interesting. Right? <laughs> sure. Yeah, they'll always J- have the Jake, interesting decisions you know, in front of them. was making mistakes. In the last book, he was like, oh, I should have practiced this morph and I didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think that'll probably continue happening. I had one more morph thing I wanted to bring up, which was, I found this one ickier than the last one. Really? I did. Speaking of the ickiness of the last one, I like how they <laughs> mentioned that Jake still hasn't gotten over eating the spider. Yes, yeah. that cracked me up because okay. I... Still have not gotten over to getting that spider. <laughs> there are so many gross parts, but please talk about it. Yuck. The shrew with the maggots, super gross. But the Quote, first thing where I was I like, wanted to eat those maggots. <laughs> ew, 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 ew. I get where she's coming from, where she's so grossed out by that. But it was actually the transformation from the bird to the human. Really? The feathers that covered me began to melt. They ran together like hot wax. In some places, when my skin reappeared, it would have this beautiful feather pattern for a few seconds. Fine. Yeah, Good. I that love those descriptions. My yellow bill sucked back into my mouth to become white teeth. That part sort of itched. It made me want to grind my teeth a few times. My lips grew out around my teeth. Ew. So gross. Did not like that. Yeah. Was real creeped out by There's it. like yeah. the description of Marco's hairy legs shooting out yeah. of bird body. <laughs> it's like, There's oh so, no. many, so many things like the, that. The face, for whatever reason, the teeth <clears throat> just creep me out. Ugh. You might have more issues with the morphs in these books in general than I did. Super <laughs> I just excited didn't have these reactions. So did you catch the other spiders reference? The cat can hear spiders in the TV set. I loved that detail. No, I missed that. I missed that too. Oh, that's, that's very funny. When she goes into the Chapman's house. There are spiders living in that television set. God, I'm glad we have flat screens now. There are no spiders in my phone screen. I assume, don't tell me if that's I would never say true. anything about that. Yeah. There's also some great like gross taxon stuff at the end. Oh yeah. yeah. I love how I love how delightfully gross the taxons are. They're just there to be squished and then eaten by the other. And taxons. they eat themselves, yeah. 
Perry also, Campbell. I think we should try and read some of the the Taxon speech. Does anyone want to give it a go? This slithery, I the think the honor is speech. yours. Yes. All right. Um, the nearest Taxon said something in their slithery snake speech. It sounded like That was great. Uh, I saw a huge gash open in the flesh of the taxon. Greenish-yellow goo poured out. The other taxons all looked kind of excited. They were waving their little upper arms and snapping their little claws. <laughs> so delightfully they gross. Just Three schnup schnup. <laughs> <laughs> but they're the most horrifying yeah. like creatures introduced so far, I think. I hate them. The red jelly yeah. eyes. I can't get over it's it. It's a nice balance of different types <laughs> of aliens. Like, you have the elegant Andalites, and you have the, like, tiny insidious Yerks, and the big, scary, lumbering Herkvajir, and then, which are very, like, sharp and pointy in contrast to these big yeah. gelatinous. Oh, they're yeah. the worst. They still I look like them. the centipede from James and the Giant Peach to me. That's, that's fair. I have think you can keep that up. have a distinct picture in my head. One other thing, I know we touched on this very briefly, but the family relationships and the way that they can be broken and sometimes kind of send back together. In particular, the way that she dresses. So Melissa and her parents no longer loving her. But Rachel has this great bit where she talks about, it's right after her big moment where she recognizes what they've done to Melissa and has that that moment of, I hate them, I will find a way to stop them. And she understands what's happened because her parents no longer loved her. And she says, When my parents got divorced, I worried maybe that meant they didn't love me anymore. I was wrong. They still did. I don't see my dad as much as I would like to, but he does love me. My mom loves me. Even my sisters love me. Love is pretty important. It's like wearing a suit of armor. It makes you strong. I really liked Mm -hmm. that. I loved that. That was such a great moment for Rachel, but also to recognize what they're fighting for. Mm -hmm. I loved that. Yeah. Yeah, I was remembering while I was reading, I started, like, the first couple chapters, I was like, oh, I have to take notes on anything interesting. And I did keep taking notes, but a couple chapters in, I was like, maybe I should just enjoy this. And Uh I really did. Like, it's so true that the parts that I love the most are the contrast with the ordinary lives, like that juxtaposition where, you know, her mom asks her what she's up to, and she has to totally lie, and she has this huge, enormous, important thing she was doing. She has to be like, yeah, you know, just a gymnastics or whatever. And her sister wakes her up from the nightmare that she had because she was fighting aliens. Yeah, yeah, that bit with her sister was so sad. She's like, I can't know that I can trust you. Yep. You know, I hated oh, the there's way nothing to worry happened. about, but obviously there's a lot to worry about. I hated the way suspicion had crept into every part of my mind. I hated the way I wasn't sure, not really totally sure, that I could trust her. Ugh. Turn into a cat, smell her, see if she's a yerk. <laughs> but what if the yerk isn't afraid? Maybe she won't be able to tell. I think there's a loophole in here <laughs> somewhere. I was also thinking about another reason that I love these books that I hadn't really identified before was how much I was enjoying just like hanging out with these characters again. Mm -hmm. Like that was how I kind of thought about it. I was like, oh, I get to like, you know, hang out with them in these situations. And I think that's why it took me a while reading the series initially to come to grips with the danger and the horror they were facing because I enjoyed everything so much. So that's certainly something we can talk about with later books. But I love consistent and insular casts. Mm -hmm. And this is one that I just really enjoy. Like, I really like all of their different voices. You know, even if Marco is sexist and annoying sometimes, and Jake can be paternalistic, and, like, all of them have flaws. But it was just so fun to feel like I was there with them again. Yeah. Yeah. 
My favorite trope in fiction of any kind is found family. Yeah. And that is very much what this feels like. Yeah. Right. So I'm also very much enjoying getting to know each of their personalities and how they mesh and, you know, the annoying younger brother kind of trope <laughs> is fine in that context. I love that. Yeah, they very much are headed in a found family direction because they're so disconnected in really important ways from their actual families. Mm. They have this, the most important thing in their lives. They want to be able to tell their families and can't. Oh, uh, yeah. There's some good stuff. There's yeah. some good stuff. <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, one more thing I want to talk about, which is the word anamorph. I don't remember when Marco came up with it. In the oh, yeah, he did. Book, yeah. But it's he a little totally low key. Yeah. yeah. And then they sort of mention it again here. <laughs> like, I should never have come up with that word. Exactly, which makes <laughs> me laugh. You guys, it took, I was this many years old uh, before I realized that it meant animal morphing. Ah! <laughs> I was actually talking about this podcast with somebody and said, because they morph into animals. Oh, that's where it comes from. <laughs> and I felt so dumb. But also, That's amazing. I love it. Now I understand. <clears throat> it's just a word that they picked yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah. Now well, if it's a word that you had heard for like multiple decades without assigning a meaning to it. Now then... I get it. Yeah, they yeah, morph yeah. into animals. They're animorphs. Yep. Took yeah. me until I was much older. This is just like a random fun fact. In one of those interviews that I read before we did the first episode, I think they said they wanted to call it like the changelings or like something oh. else. And Scholastic came up with Animorphs. They were like, no, good this job, is, Scholastic. This is what it's I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's really good. I liked the realization that she was doing all this exercise and not getting any benefit to her actual human body. It's like, that seems like one of the most unfair things about their situation. Right. She's not going to be better at gymnastics because she no. was a cat for half an hour. She's not going to have like better aerobic health or like cardiovascular health because she like managed to take off as a bird. I had one. So in terms of the plot, did you see either of those twists coming? How obvious were they? Uh, Jake becoming the flea. Definitely was going to happen. Yeah. I was. They mentioned it, and I was like, "Okay, where they are you going like to find a flea? Times. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to find a flea. I would like to see you finding the flea, but you're definitely that's a thing that's going to happen." I also I really enjoyed the scrappiness of the action scene at the end. It goes by very quickly, <laughs> but it, it's like again they barely escape with their lives, and then having Tobias come in with the hero <laughs> move at the end, which was also foreshadowed. I noticed reading it this time. Yeah, he talks so about like, he can come in and pick her up. Right. Right. Which, like, she must be a pretty small cat, or he's a really strong hawk. I'm very much picturing her as the larger of our cats and thinking, eh. <laughs> I know some pretty small cats. Maybe Tobias has been working out in yeah. this bird. <laughs> yeah, he gets he's to keep always the in that body, so he keeps the benefits. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wanted to bring up the choice to have Rachel as the second narrator, mm. because it is the other white person in the group. Like, mm. it's, mm -hmm. Gray, you were talking about how Jake and Rachel are similar, which they are. They're similar in a lot of ways. And they get to be the first two point of view characters. Mm -hmm. I don't know to what extent that was a conscious decision because of content they were saving for the other characters mm -hmm. in other books. I do think it makes sense to not do Tobias immediately because, you know, let things sink in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other choice could have been Marco because mm -hmm. of their pre existing relationship. I feel like in reading that, I was thinking about why Rachel and what occurred to me is that you really get a lot more development of the Rachel-Jake dynamic. And since mm -hmm. we are most familiar with Jake, having just read a book about him, it makes sense to kind of like 
build out from pivot to reach on. Yeah, and they've had similar experiences. And but I suspect that in the Tobias book, we will have been glad that we already got Rachel's perspective. <laughs> you know, that's a good point. Actually, that would be a good argument for Rachel. And I think there are um, other reasons. I guess you could make the same thing if you wanted to get into the Cassie Jake relationship more. Yeah, Jake is sort of the the hub of all of the relationships. So they could have gone to anyone. I think that's it makes sense point. not to go to Marco because he's the most reluctant and we saw Rachel have her like yeah, commitment right moment. you made that point yeah so I think we want to save right. Marcos and let him and be he, reluctant for and that's what they do he's the fifth yeah, it, yeah. yeah. you get Tobias um, and then Cassie and then Marco and Cassie I don't think there's a good reason for not choosing Cassie but maybe they did want Rachel to like build the relationship with Tobias mm. yeah because Cassie was the other one I was thinking but it seems that she and Jake have the most tenuous relationship mm, yeah right so he and Marco are best friends he and Rachel are cousins Tobias is a bird <laughs> Well, he and Tobias have maybe started out the series with the strongest relationship Tobias had with anyone, yes. but it was still That's pretty true. weak. Yeah, but, you know, Cassie and Jake are sort of peripheral friends, right? They have yeah. a friend in common. Yeah, that's true. So maybe that would be a harder pivot. Just it is, Yeah, it is a good point, though. Mm-hmm. And thinking about the content, actually, of Cassie's first book, I can see why they wanted to wait on that. I don't remember it that clearly. But oh, there, be, there are yeah, reasons we should, that, After like, we get Cassie through five, we should talk about yeah. the sequencing of it. I think yeah, that'd be really interesting. Tell. Yeah. And four was the first one you read, right? Yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah. Though not the one that sold me on the series. I mean, I didn't hate it. So Tobias is the next book. Mm-hmm. In the first two books, the main character has a morph that is sort of a plot point, mm-hmm. and that is what their faces morph into. Mm-hmm. Tobias is a bird. Uh-huh. She doesn't morph so much. So for this, his first book, I could see, okay, he's, this is his face. But for subsequent Tobias books, what are they going to do? Is it just every five books is just there's another bird? I don't Still know, that's an interesting question. I guess we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, it is a really Curious. interesting question. There are multiple ways they deal with this issue, and they are not going to be things that you expect. It's <laughs> going to be interesting. As with everything. Uh, should um, we show Gray the cover of the next book and have her predict things? Yes. Let us do that. Can you guess what device is morphing into? <laughs> okay, I'm going to go out on the limb Have you seen it yet? suggest that it's probably a hawk. Yeah, it okay. might even be a red-tailed hawk. Just if I had to guess. <laughs> Let me just look up this cover. Jenny, what's the title of the third book before you it look is it up? The Encounter. I looked up Animorphs The Encounters. <laughs> <laughs> the Encounter. Yeah. Ooh, okay, I'm going to get my theories in place. Yeah, well, wait until you see what animal is on the cover <laughs> first. All right, this is a little bit blurry. You can probably read all the text. Okay. The Encounter. Oh, buddy, so tell us what is, the animal is. Okay. That is a 90s haircut. I know. That is exactly what I was about to say. So Tobias is morphing into a hawk. Tobias has the most 90s haircut of anyone since the 90s. He looks exactly like the best friend from Boy Meets World. That's true. 100% what he looks like. He also doesn't look much like his description. A good point that I did not remember. I think he Um, had like sandy blonde hair or something. Not what he looks like. No. He looks like kind of like how Jake is described. Uh, Now you see them, now you don't is the cover text. It is called The Encounter. That is... Super unhelpful. Um, well, looking back, who was the visitor? <laughs> this is a question that I forgot to mention. What? Is the she the visitor? Are a little... She visits the Chapmans. She visits the Chapmans, I guess. This is very silly. These so what titles. will be the encounter, if anything? Okay, maybe... I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna predict something. I okay. think that Tobias is gonna meet a lovely lady Red Hawk. And that the encounter is going to be the two of them making friends. All right. The encounter's a hawk. Solid prediction. Okay, yeah. That's good. We'll see how it goes. 
It's definitely not what happened. <laughs> That's my prediction anyway. All right. Well, tune in next time on Animorphology when we will be reading number three, The Encounter. If you want to find us, we are at Animorphology.com and at Animorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the Animorphs ebooks on our website. Let's just make sure that this is still recording. <laughs> it is.